MSW Media. Please join us in thanking HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50complicated and use code 50complicated for 50% off plus free shipping. So Renato, why does no one care about Robert Herr? Who's Robert Herr? Uh, it's complicated. I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal contributor for ABC News. And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down into a soundbite or a tweet. Okay, so so you you were joking, I think, on who is Robert Herr, but it would be a fair question because, frankly, in today's news cycle, he's just a random dude. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that Robert Herr is conducting a criminal investigation of the sitting president of the United States, and no one's paying attention. and And I don't and I don't think that's just you know, on the, quote, liberal uh, mainstream media, I, I don't think anyone cares. Like, I don't even think Republicans are that focused on it. They're more focused on Hunter Biden and an impeachment or whatever, I don't know, or their own speaker battle than they are on this investigation of Robert Hur. It's almost like everyone's decided from the beginning that it's a complete waste of time. Yeah. And I think that we should just pause here for a second to talk about where we are with special counsels today. There's a few. Yeah. So just let's just take a trip down memory lane. In May of 2017, uh, then Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein appointed Robert Mueller, Robert S. Mueller III, to be the special counsel to investigate Russia's election interference and any ties with the Trump campaign. And I don't know if you remember the famous words that Trump uttered when he found out that a special counsel had been appointed. I don't remember. Did it start with MF? Er? No. Uh, it was IMF. <laughs> I believe. Like, in other words, that was his reaction. Yeah. It was an expletive. And I think in general, that was sort of how we thought of special counsels at I the agree. time. I mean, these were people that were really going to come in, get to the bottom of stuff. You couldn't interfere with them. It was a serious business. And, you know, while Trump was saying that, the people who were still reeling from the director of the FBI being fired were like, oh, my God, finally, somebody's going to, you know, bring some sanity to this thing. Now, that all went off the rails. That's its own story. But I feel like now special counsels are a snooze fest because in addition to Jack Smith, who at least is getting, you know, stuff done, he's, you know, things are visible, these are serious cases, but we've got Robert Herr, who was appointed to investigate Biden's possession of classified documents, and now we have David Weiss, who's appointed to I don't even know what he's investigating with Hunt to, you know, Hunter Biden. 
because that way we can keep the words Hunter Biden, um, I guess, circulating like it's gotten dumb. It's gotten dumb. Don't you think? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that here's what I would say, though. Here, I'll, I'll have a provocative take. Okay, be provocative. As Henry is here licking my hands and wondering why I'm not playing with him. Um, instead, my provocative take is this is a creature of the Garland Justice Department. Yes. You know, both Weiss and her are appointed essentially to, for narrative purposes, for, you know, perception purposes. Yes. In other words, I don't really think that there's a good reason why we need a ongoing criminal investigation of this Biden document thing. Um, now I will I will note that my former colleague and friend, uh, friend Dish, I mean a friend, somebody I'm friendly with, John Lausch, my, you know, who was the U.S. attorney overseeing a sort of preliminary review of this matter, concluded that it was appropriate to have a special counsel. I mean, John is a Republican, or at least was appointed by Trump, and. Um, you know, I, I don't know all the facts, but on its face, this was basically Biden had some documents from his VP era and he brought this to the attention. Him and his team brought this to the attention of the authorities saying, hey, we inadvertently had some documents. The chance that that was going to result in a criminal investigation on those facts are very, very low. And the fact that the president of the United States is sitting down for a two day interview uh, suggest that his lawyers see it the same way I do. Yeah, voluntarily. But let's let's even give Merrick Garland the benefit of the doubt on that. Let's say that he's like, look, you know, there were classified documents in his possession. This this meets the very low threshold to open an investigation. And because this per, you know, we would do this for anybody. And because it's the sitting president, it creates the perception of a conflict of interest, and therefore. I need to appoint a special counsel. Well, if that's the case, then that standard could have been applied to Trump immediately after January 6th. Absolutely. Because because Trump's actions on January 6th meet that very low threshold of, you know, uh, the allegation or potential that he violated the federal laws of the United States and him opening that investigation would have created a conflict of interest which would have justified him appointing a special counsel very soon after January 6th instead of dragging his feet for how long did he drag it? A year and a half. In other words, like, in other words, there's just not, like, if he was being consistent, I I feel like I could respect this more. Like, if he had in, in, appointed a special counsel, you know, as soon as he was um, appointed, attorney general and said, look, we got to get to the bottom of what was behind January 6th. And I don't want this to look like a, I'm going after him. I'm appointing a special counsel the same way that Rod Rosenstein did. Fine. And then if he was doing it for by Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, whatever, then it's like, okay, this is just his MO. But then why drag your feet on that? Well, yeah, I think on the, tr- there's a real, um, split between how he handled Trump and how he handled Biden, right? And that's why I say it comes Uh down to this perception issue or PR issue. I mean, I think uh, Garland is very focused on how he's perceived, I think, primarily by Republicans. Yes, it's a perception issue that favors Trump. Right, because, you know, one thing, after Biden was elected, before January 6th, before the inauguration, I wrote a column for Politico 
recommending and saying that I thought the right uh, move was to be was to appoint a special counsel then and there. This is before January 6th for all of the stuff that Trump had done. So you had a special counsel out there who would just rule on all this, some career prosecutor, a Jack Smith type who could go, who no one had heard of, who could go through all this stuff because there's all the Mueller investigation obstruction, right? There's all sorts of allegations of interference in the Southern District of New York. There's a lot of different things that, that Trump did, some of which it putting before January 6th, some of which maybe didn't meet the bar for prosecution, some of which didn't, you know, did or didn't. I, I think it would have been appropriate at that point to have a special counsel sift through all of that. And yet instead of that, as you point out, we had a bunch of dickering uh, by Garland and actually the the dropping off of a bunch of that stuff due to a statute of limitations issue. Uh, and without any statement one way or the other uh, or comment, I, I think it's something that in history um, people are going to look back on and wonder why, why, why he made those decisions. Yeah, you and I were a hundred percent on the same page on that. Yeah, I think that a history. I mean, I think a Garland biography. Someday there's going to be a biography of a Garland Justice Department, and perhaps juxtaposed with a uh, Bill Barr Justice Department. And I, I really think with Bill Barr, there's all these abuses, and to me, Garland not. I wouldn't, if I was Garland, I wouldn't just appoint a special counsel to look at all this Trump stuff. And a lot of it, by the way, wouldn't meet a bar for prosecution. There's so many times where there's all these tweets like there's this Hatch Act violation or this or that, and it wouldn't meet some bar. That'll be fine. Like, so be it. Like, have a general, um, excuse me, a special counsel go through all of that. Like an audit of the Trump years. Yeah. And then, and then you kind of had a, uh, by a career prosecutor say, Hey, this is worth pursuing Mar-a-Lago, maybe, maybe some stuff from the Mueller report. This other stuff isn't. And that's so be it. Everyone would have to live with that. And then I would also have a commission or someone, a Mueller type come in and review what had happened in the justice department because interfering in the sentencing of Trump's friends is not a criminal violation in and of itself. It's an abuse of power. But the American people need to know how the Justice Department's power was abused by Barr and Trump, perhaps in concert or perhaps not. Um, you know, and, and there needs to be some discussion about how we can make sure that doesn't happen again, sort of like what happened after Watergate. And that's just never happened here. And so we're in this weird situation where all of this stuff happened and we're sort of, I guess, pretending it didn't. Like, I think Garland would say, to to be fair to him, that he's essentially providing a, quote, counterexample or he's, you know, by being different, he's sort of setting it right. We're going to kind of pretend that that didn't happen. Um, but but as to Biden, it's like, oh, he self-reports that there are no documents we're going to point out that there was a few documents, you know, that he had. We're going to point a special counsel there, but not for Vice President Pence, who actually did the same thing. Who also self-reported. Yeah. You know what? Like, screw that approach by Garland. You know, it just. Um, you can't. I, I use this analogy when I was um, at the Tribu- Texas Tribune Festival, which is that, you know, if you if you get in the driver's seat of a vehicle that has bad alignment and it's already been veering off course, okay, and it's like headed into the woods towards a cliff, and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to drive straight from this point on. Guess what? You're still not on the road. 
you're still like heading towards the cliff. So you have to actually, if you want to straighten the whole thing out, I think what you're saying is you have to address the fact that it got misaligned and take a look at it and repair it and get it back on the road. And then you can decide to drive it straight. That's my argument. Yeah, I think we it's sort of the difference between the Soviets saying we're not going to we're going to forget about Stalin. We're going to pretend Stalin didn't exist. No one got purged. He didn't try to massacre a bunch of Ukrainians. We're going to just purge Stalin, like essentially from our collective memory versus, you know, saying, OK, we're going to have a reckoning about the Holocaust and make sure that everyone in Germany remembers what happened. Because part of the reckoning of what happened, and I'm not comparing that any of this the, of what happened in our country to the Holocaust, but the point being that understanding and taking responsibility for what happened in the past is part of not only moving forward from that, but of having lessons learned and setting up safeguards to ensure that 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 you know problems abuses don't occur again. And I just I really think that is the the real disappointment to me of the Garland uh, the Garland Justice Department. So which brings us to why do we care about Robert Herr and why has he taken so long? Okay, so let's let's even say okay, he appointed the special counsel. What is there to investigate? I'm not even really sure what actually again, like I it makes me mad that there's like this you know, Inspector Clouseau's like, you know, d- like turning over every rock or whatever. And meanwhile, there was foot dragging about whether or not to execute a search warrant for hundreds of classified documents, including nuclear secrets that were at Mar-a-Lago, which at that point had been willfully retained and hidden from Justice Department officials. Like, I just don't get it. Um, but I'm not really clear on what exactly yeah. her is investigating. Like, what's the violation? It can't be a willful retention. You've already, the the voluntarily turning this over, I would think, obviates that charge. You wouldn't be able to prove that. It's very hard. Yeah, very hard to prove that ever beyond a reasonable doubt. Like, illegal removal of classified documents? Like, okay. Very, very challenging because you'd have to be, you have to prove some sort of intent there, right? If it's inadvertent, I don't think that would count. Uh, Yeah, very challenging to see. There may be more than meets the eye. Look, like I said, I do respect uh, John who made the initial call that a special counsel was warranted and an investigation was warranted. I do, you know, I do know uh, and worked with one of uh, her's top lieutenants. These are all Trump appointees who I know, but I, who I do respect and I've, I've worked with him and know him personally very well. But I, you know, so there, it's possible that somebody, for example, made a false statement to law enforcement and tried to cover something up, you know, one of his aides. That might be, that might be possible. But I also think it's also possible that what's going on here is we're going to get Kobe 2.0, which is you get a Republican appointed law enforcement officer who's like, well, nothing even close to a criminal violation occurred here, but we're going to do a lot of hand-wringing about how imperfect the subject of our investigation is, which is totally not how criminal investigations are supposed to work, but that's what happened in the Hillary case. And I, and I feel very strongly that that went off the rails very early on. Like, I, It's not clear to me that an investigation of occur, should have occurred to the extent it occurred there, because basically what they were investigating 
was essentially inadvertent possession of classified material on a server. That's that it seemed like very early on they had figured out that that's all this was. And they really, they knew that was not going to be prosecuted. And so the rest of this, that was all PR, uh, just trying to sort of have something to tell the public. And Comey going out there and giving all this hand-wringing about how awful it was that Hillary used the server was not his function. And I do worry that we're going to get a report by her that's basically like, hey, Biden is a super careless guy and a sloppy guy uh, and how awful that is, which, of course, is not the law. Like, it's not or not a criminal, uh, cr- you know, criminal investigation. I would say that if he does that, it's Comey 3.0 because Comey 2.0 was the Durham investigation, which was another <laughs> special counsel. I forgot about it. That that Garland let hang around for like three years. Yeah, Durham, though, I actually put it in his own category. The Durham investigation is like that was like potentially crooked from the start. Right. I mean, it seemed like he had impure motives. Yes. And it was basically trying to create talks, Fox News talking points. Whereas I do think that Kobe was originally trying to investigate something legitimate, but he just got self sort of not only self-righteous, but like off his rocker. I don't, you know, he was like uh, you know, trying to do something no one had ever done before. He thought of himself as sort of, I don't know, teaching America about. But fair enough. But the Durham investigation was very similar in its report, which was, it's kind of a big nothing burger, except that we think that people did a lot of things, you know, not that really sloppily or, or, or not that, that it was really by the book. But I mean, none of basically the only th- two things that they found that rose to a criminal violation that they actually tried to prosecute ended up being big flops. Yeah. I mean, it just so everyone understands where I come down on this. I, I'm not saying that it, it, there's necessarily you know, that, that whether then any of these people were perfect, whether we're talking about Hillary or or president Biden or anyone else, but the role of a criminal prosecutor is not to pass moral judgment on people's practices or any other kind of judgment on people's practices. There's plenty of sloppy, um, negligent, foolish, even evil people in the world of business who are not committing federal crimes. And if you're a federal prosecutor, your job is to investigate crimes and prosecute them if you have the evidence, and then they have due process. I mean, that's why, the. I mean, Robert Mueller, to me, even though he's often criticized, that is the model of what a special counsel should be. Someone who's very careful, someone who's very judicious, someone who's thinking about the rights of the accused, even when perhaps he didn't deserve them. But that to me is a very, um, you know, someone who shows appropriate restraint. And, and I am concerned about what the her report's going to look like. I think it's going to be a big nothing burger. I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe maybe Biden's also keeping nuclear secrets and telling them to the people who pass through his house. I don't know. We'll see. So, Asha, have you tried balancing taste, nutrition, and variety in your weekly dinner menu lately? Eh, it's complicated. With HelloFresh, variety truly is the spice of life. Expect an ever-changing menu of mouth-watering options delivered straight to your doorstep. And preparation is a breeze. Each box comes with the exact ingredients you need, paired with simple instructions, making it easier than ever to have a healthy and delicious meal. I recently had their vegetarian paella, 
and it was amazing. How so? It was a canvas of sweet peppers and mushrooms, seasoned with rosemary and paprika and tinted with turmeric. Each bite was a vegan and gluten-free delight. I can't wait to have it again sometime. Wow, you're making me want to try that next. Come to think of it, every meal I've had from HelloFresh has been absolutely delicious. HelloFresh does all the shopping and meal planning for you. Ingredients arrive at your doorstep, pre-portioned and ready to cook, along with step-by-step recipe cards with pictures. How easy is that? Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50complicated and use code 50complicated for 50% off plus free shipping. Okay, so, you know, we're at the stage of these many criminal investigations that are happening that I think we're going to have to do a grab bag segment. And I think for this week, it has to be motions grab bag on the various pretrial motions that are being filed, what they mean, why we care, what the judges are saying. What do you think? Uh, that that makes sense. I, I'll just say to everyone, by the way, I mean, obviously we do recognize that there's some very significant news this week. Um, brutal attack on innocent civilians. And I think I speak for both of us when we say that we completely condemn and are outraged by kind of a, just a brutal attack on... On civilians. Innocent civilians in, in, um, in you know, in Israel. Um, but we just realized that that's not our expertise. We're not our, our expertise. We're not foreign policy experts, and so talking about all of these different motions that are going on makes a lot more sense for this podcast. Um, and so, yeah, let's talk about. It. I mean, there's been a lot of filings in, in a lot of these different cases. Jack Smith, in particular, has got a lot that he's filing and saying, but there's been other some other cases as well. There's a lot of a lot of different cases in the pipeline. Well, the Georgia case is is uh, heading towards trial for Kenneth Cheeseboro and Sidney Powell. Yes. So, in, in Mr. Cheeseboro, uh, if that's how you say his name, I don't think we've ever figured out whether he's Cheeseboro or Cheeseboro. Mr. He's Cheese- always going to be Cheeseboro for me. <laughs> well, he had a very cheesy motion. Uh, which he essentially <laughs> claimed, and there's there's a certain chutzpah. Uh, say this is my since I you know uh, in my household there's a lot of there's a lot of Yiddish that's spoken. A lot of, there's a lot of chutzpah um, that in uh, in filing a motion saying that the Electoral Count Act supersedes uh, Georgia state law when it comes to fraud and election fraud and things like that because it essentially you know essentially anything that uh, related to the fake elector scheme in Georgia would be superseded by the Federal Electoral Count Act. And, of course, the supremacy clause is the clause of the Constitution that says that federal law is supreme over state law. Um, but I think it's fair to say that the people who created the Electoral Count Act were not intending uh, for that procedure to supersede uh, state laws that prohibited fraud uh, that was uh, that was trying to undermine that procedure um, by uh, defrauding on the United States Senate and public and so on. Right. And I would just like to point out that Cheese World's legal theory was that basically state legislatures could 
undermine the Electoral Count Act by replacing the will of the people. I mean, it, it makes no sense. You know, I noticed this with with Mark Meadows, too. It's like when it they they were trying to assert some kind of state supremacy, really, when it and, and I mean, you know, state states do run elections, but in a way that would override the electoral count certification. That was the entire theory that they were doing by by creating these fake electoral certificates. But suddenly when they get charged, all of a sudden they're in court and it's all about, you know, federal law and supremacy and, you know, how dare the states have any rights over me? So I don't know. I think that this is it's it's rich. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. I, I will say, so first of all, Cheeseboro, just speaking of rich, he's the guy who wrote that sort of cheesy email uh, in the course of the whole fake electors thing where he was like, maybe we shouldn't call them fake electors. I think it was, wasn't he that guy? Um, but uh, during the course of the scheme. But yeah, look, I mean, what I view it as is it's a Hail Mary sort of criminal defense motion. It at least presents some sort of path to victory. You know, I've been giving interviews all week about the Sam Bankman free trial, which we talked about a, a week or two ago. And d- journalists keep asking me like, well, where's the path to victory there? And it's like, I don't know. And there's really none. You know, they're, they haven't filed anything or done anything that suggests there's a way of winning. I mean, technically speaking, if the, if the supremacy clause motion was granted, a lot of the counts would be gone. Not all of them like Rico, but some, uh, the problem for him is that, uh, it's an absurd argument. And so it's going nowhere. Uh, but a nice try, uh, for Mr. Cheesebro, appropriately cheesy motion. Um, someone moved his cheese. (laughs) So. Why don't one thing? Why don't we talk a little bit about um, some of this gag order stuff? Because I think that one interesting motion that I found, or one one interesting sort of motion, and it was granted. I think very interesting um, because it presents a juxtaposition to some of what we've seen in other cases. Is in the New York AG case, the judge granted a a gag order again, imposed a gag order against Trump because he made false statements outing the judge's permanent law clerk and making up lies about her, basically posting a photo of her and Chuck Schumer and suggesting falsehoods regarding her. And I'm sure a lot of people, when they saw that, like I, I, I actually, I saw a lot of tweets and comments where people are like, okay, this is the start. It's broken the dam. That suddenly now we're going to see all these gag orders just flowing from judges, uh, pens uh that you know they're going to be granting them like judge shutkin might do you know in response to a motion from jack smith and the reality is it's a very unusual situation where a, a staff member in the judiciary who is totally in not public figure innocent bystander is you know attacked and this is somebody the judge is close to on her on his staff is attacked by trump in a very personal way false way and so in that circumstance it's very easy to understand why the gag order was imposed. And of course, Trump immediately like deleted that truth or whatever it was. Oh, really? Oh yeah. I didn't know Came that he deleted it. it. Yeah. I mean, did you clerk Renato? Oh yeah. Yeah. You clerk. Yep. I mean, uh, fifth circuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Judges, you know, their relationships, with their clerks are, are very close. And so yeah, I do think that there's, I think there's a couple of things which you just said, which is one, she is, 
you know, a, a member of the judiciary, like she's a part of the Correct. judicial apparatus. So it is an attack on the institution. But I think there's also a personal um, affront, which is, and I, I, I don't even understand the background of what that tweet was about, but I suspect that Trump kind of, he sometimes targets what he perceives to be a weaker proxy for a target which he might be a little bit intimidated by or he's testing the waters in some ways to or you know doing it so i actually wonder whether this was let me do this to the law clerk because i'm really trying to get to the judge um and you know he he got shot down but you know it's just really interesting and i think that you know don't mess with somebody's law clerk um <laughs> with the judge's law clerk they they are you know i think they'll take it personally at some level and to that extent, I would also just kind of draw the the little dotted line to Clarence Thomas finally recusing himself from, you know, the case that might involve John Eastman, who was his law clerk, um, which I think was done under pressure. But, you know, again, it kind of reflecting this idea that there is a relationship there that you're going to have that is not going to allow you to be completely objective in the situation yeah i mean you know you talk about jump testing the waters i am sure you 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 because you're old enough for, i we're the same gen as you remember that snl skit a bad idea jeans remember that? yeah yeah i thought i'd try to threaten i thought i'd just try to threaten the the judge's law clerk bad idea g in the middle of a bench <laughs> trial that's the thing you're in the middle of a trial your business's existence is on the line and there's no jury it's all down to the judge and what his perception is it looks like you're losing so you're like you know my hail mary is not a, a supremacy clause motion my hail mary is i'm gonna attack the judge's clerk and hope that i scare him uh, into deciding the things my way. I mean, that was really, really dumb. So that, that was about the baddest of bad ideas from the, from, uh, Donald Trump. So yeah, but it, it's, it does not, it does not implicate. I mean, another point though, I would just say is it does not implicate the same first amendment concerns as Trump, presidential candidate Trump attacking, uh, General Milley or something like that, because there, there's, an issue of public concern and he's a public figure and yada, yada, yada. This is just purely a litigant in the courtroom attacking the judge's law clerk. And that's how the judge viewed it. And he knows that the New York court of appeals is going to see it exactly the same way. And so that was an easy one for the judge to grant. I, by contrast, you know, not only is Jack Smith tried to get a jack gag order on Trump, stay tuned on that, but he's also um, filed recently a motion trying to basically make the case that Trump should not be allowed to do research on jurors. And he's concerned about intimidation of jurors. And I guess the way I view that motion and a lot of his other motions in front of Chutkin. What does he mean by research? I think he does not want Trump to have names of jurors and be able to like look up facts about them. And then Oh, because publish. he's going to tweet it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to truth it out or whatever. The, the thing is... I don't regard that as actually, I mean, I think that that is just Smith's attempt to do two things. One, to put a marker down to basically tell Trump's attorneys, like, you better watch him, better cut it out. But it's also, I view, view it as like, it's basically Smith's way of like 
crapping all over Trump in front of Chutkin because he knows Chutkin's like not really thrilled with Trump anyway, and he can just throw all this stuff out there. And he's basically just making Trump's life as hard as possible in front of her. And he can get away with that in front of her. He's not doing that uh, to the same extent in front of Judge Cannon. We can talk about it in a minute. But I think, and for good, for because she's Judge Cannon. And so, but in front of Judge Shutkin, I think he's doing what I think a lot of prosecutors would do take every opportunity possible to make the defendant look bad. Yeah. And by saying, like, this is what he's done in the past, or this is what he has a proclivity to do, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So you, she, he's given, made it easy. And so it's for the, for, for, he's giving Smith a ton of ammo. So, and Smith's every opportunity is just going to crap on Trump, uh, every opportunity he can to the judge and makes, I mean, I could see why he's doing that. It's, it's certainly savvy trial strategy, you know, even if Trump's defense team is, you know, breaking their pencils and, you know, screaming in anger every time. Meanwhile, down in Florida. Judge Aileen. Louis Cannon. We have a special, is... very special episode of Judge the, the, the uh, <laughs> yeah, Judge I Cannon mean, so Chronicles. The Judge Cannon Chronicles, and as far as they can tell, she's sort of going along, maybe not as explicitly, but with an attempt by Trump to slow roll that investigation, and. I think Jack Smith is also firing back there, saying there's no reason that he needs to delay this for that long. And there was a tantalizing tidbit that I saw um, on Twitter about how in his filings, he's just dropped in there that he is ready to prove not only, you know, the who, the what, the where, and the when, and the how, but also the why. And that... I think is very exciting is does Jack Smith know Trump's motive for keeping these classified documents and what he intended to do with them? And he's ready to drop that truth bomb in court. Well, no wonder that Trump wants to delay this. Can I just say, Asha, everyone not watching the YouTube version of this is like totally <laughs> missing out because the just sheer glee in getting this in Asha's <laughs> face is just like she's just jumping out of the screen right now. Um, I mean, it's like I, I can't. It's like you're finally finding out, you know, the the end of this, this is the Columbo moment. This is the Columbo moment. Yes. You know, and Mr. Trump, one more thing, uh, uh, just one more question. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm it, dying it to suggests... know if this, if this trial gets delayed and I don't find this out. I mean, it's like it's like getting to the cliffhanger. The, you know, the, the, the you're waiting for the season finale and the, and you don't get it. Wow. Like, what happens? If you get sick, your wish is going to be like, can I just live long enough to see the end of this trial and find yes. out the truth? Yes, I want to be frozen cryogenically so that you can <laughs> you get. <laughs> unfreeze me and I'd find out what the motive is. I'm actually really like, because you and I said, okay, so I told you at the beginning, I was like, we should talk about that because I'm very excited. And you're like, yeah, it's just ego. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's something juicier there. I don't think you're... Jack Smith would have dropped that in there if there wasn't something juicier there. 
Yeah. I mean, you're, that does suggest, I give you this, he does suggest that there's something to it, at least in some circumstance, right? As to some some of the documents. Like there was a strategy involved. Right. Beyond like he could brag to people like, hey, I got the nuclear secrets here. You know, want to come back to my place? Uh, you know, look at nuclear documents with me. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that seemed like what it was, right? Like, yeah. Hey, these are super secret. I could have declassified them. Or that he had a, or that he had a, maybe he had a, a value on them that he hoped to get a return on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, look, I, it, I, this is purely speculative, but am I really coloring outside the lines by suggesting that Trump is a transactional person? Sure. It's just what a what a silly way for him to try to make money. It's like the Underman's Gnomes in South Park where it's like step one, collect classified documents. Step two. But you know what? I actually wonder, I I wonder whether, you know, people are like he intended to sell the secrets to, you know, whatever, name your country. But the example that he used when he had his interview with, was it Hannity or what? I, I don't remember, Tom Fitton, somebody where he used the Nixon example. Sure. When Nixon had all of his papers, which he took with him after he left office, this was before the passage of the Presidential Records Act. The reason the Presidential Records Act was actually passed to make all those presidential papers the possession of the U.S. government. But anyway, the U.S. government did pay Nixon to get them back. And I guess they paid him a mint to get them back because obviously they had a huge historical significance. And he mentioned that. So I actually wonder, was he hoping to eventually negotiate returning the documents to the U.S. government? Maybe. 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 That's actually the most innocuous reason why he would keep them, right? I mean, of all the things that we might think of, Charging the government for their safe return. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm saying there could be a number of things, and I'm super Jared curious. Jared did some now, stuff, right? and he got two billion that, from the Saudis. This guy is like, let me try to get two billion from the United States government for its own documents. Okay, maybe. <laughs> I, don't know. It's, I don't know. I don't know. He's going to pay there, Alina there Abba many to other whatever. This pays her legal bills. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what do you think about the delay part? So I, I you think Cannon's going to yeah, come through? I, for I, him? I would bet a lot of money on that. Didn't I? I think I, I didn't I set a marker down. I thought I, I as soon as the Trump Mar-a-Lago thing came out, I said it was not going to get tried before the election. I think I wrote a column on that. So that that's holding up really you well. You did. Uh, <laughs> everybody, it is holding up because everybody else was like, "This one's going to be the one yeah. to go first. No. And I was relying on. The majority of prosecutors, former prosecutors saying that. I was like, yeah, I think that will go first. No, um, but no, no, no. That's not no. going to happen. I'm not and surprised you know, either. I mean, look, the thing is, if it was, if his name was John Doe, I understand that he wouldn't have the documents. But just putting that aside, if it's not Donald Trump in front of a random judge and I was the, the defense counsel, I could get a lot of time too. You know, it is what it is. It's not, KK is not going anywhere fast. Ken is not going to let, not going to, have any energy for a fast trial. And that's what it would require to get that case to trial before the election. So that case is just, I think, I think Smith's lost any hope of having it done before the election. I mean, he's going through the motions, but he's got way more energy in the Chutkin case, right? He's filing every random motion about every random hypothetical thing Trump could do. 
maybe he'll just start dropping stuff in the filings. I, yeah. Like they say that the Justice Department speaks through the filings, right? Sure. Well, I don't know. In that kind of case, that's kind of dangerous, right? To do. I mean, I don't know. We'll find out. I, I Usually that stuff wouldn't come out till right before the trial. It wouldn't be the right trial strategy. It'll be interesting to see if he, you know, um, if he adopts a sort of unorthodox. That's true. You wouldn't want to reveal. Yeah, I hold my cards. That you know the motive. Okay. I'm dying to know. I'm like I mean, literally it's apparent. Dying to know. It's apparent. Well, stay tuned. If you keep watching and listening to this podcast, eventually, eventually we'll get there. <laughs> eventually we'll get there. So, before we go, I you told me you wanted to talk about detox, and I said to you, I'm like, are you talking about like those people who drink like cayenne pepper and nothing but for like, like vinegar and cayenne pepper for a month, that sort of thing or a week? No, No. I was just talking about like not drinking for a while. Really? So are you in detox now? Yeah. You know, I'm just like, sometimes I'm like, I need to give this a break. And I mean, if you see, we're recording at night today, because of our some schedule, I'm having my house painted. And it was really loud during the day because they were scraping and stuff. And usually, when we record in the evening, I have a glass of vino. True. Um, and of course, especially after today's exciting news that Jack Smith might have uncovered the motive <laughs> for him keeping these classified documents, I would. You know, that would be a, a wine and fries event for me to kind of contemplate. Um, but I'm trying to, to, I mean, do you ever just like give it a rest for a little while? So first of all. Or do you all, just not drink a lot to begin with? First of all. And I don't drink it, a lot to begin with, but I can get into a habit where I'm like, every night I'm having a glass of wine. And then sometimes I'm just like, I need to just not do that. So, okay. First, before we get to anything else, when you mm-hmm. aren't drinking, is it fries and fries? As best wine and fries, you just like double up on the carbs. So I'm going to tell you a secret, okay. which is that, like, I really only have fries with the wine probably five percent of the time. What? Okay. Because it's not like I just have like fries lying around my house. Like if I'm at a restaurant where they have good fries, I'll order the fries and I will have a glass of wine and I take a picture and that's my wine and fries. But, but it's not like, like at home, I'm not, I don't know. I, am not I crushing drinks? I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm actually like, I have a image to protect that I'm really letting people down right now, but I don't fry up fries every so, night. Are you, there's the next thing you're going to tell us you don't actually use a steam mop. Is that coming next? No, I do. I do use a steam mop. <laughs> okay. That's real. So, That's legit. Our, okay. So regarding uh, drinking, so I used to drink a lot. I used to, used to drink when, not a lot. I wasn't like alcoholic or something, but I would drink, like I'd have a, I'd have a bottle of beer sometimes when I got home from work or something like that. I, I really like Hefeweizen uh, and, um, or like some really good Pilsners. I also would have wine. I mean, especially I lived in Northern California for a little period of time, got really into wine. Um, but when I got into weight loss, I stopped doing it because I found that when I, yeah. when I, I first of all, it like lowers your metabolism. And for me, it, I eat too much. 
because I have to will myself to be like, don't eat, don't eat Renato. You're going to be tempted to eat. But if I drink, I'm like, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm bad. So now, cause I don't drink much. I will drink socially. You know, if I'm out with whatever, we're out with another couple or if I'm at a work event and my client's drinking, fine, I'll drink. But I get tired now when I drink. Yeah. So I have to be really careful. And it's not like I'm drinking vodka Red Bulls. If you're drinking, if you're drinking, I like gin and tonic or I like drinking um, wine. And then after a glass or two, I'm like tired. Yeah. I don't drink anything but wine. I don't like beer. I don't don't drink liquor. Yeah, I don't really. I I drink. I like Corona. Okay. Corona with lime is like literally the only beer that I enjoy, and I what kind about, of have to be at, on a beach. What really about a Rattler? That. that seems like that's very light and fruity. You know what that is? No, it's like partially fruit juice and partially beer. It's really great. No, German I don't want fruit thing. juice and beer. Yeah. I really don't. Okay, it tastes very very fruity. But anyway. So you're on. So how long are you off drinking? So I only drink red wine, and I agree. Like a lot of it was about just the extra calories, really. That yeah, accumulate I have trouble. Staying, I have trouble when I drink. Keep me thin. Yeah, and it also like it affects my sleep sometimes. And uh, here's the problem: like I'm really enjoying a glass of wine. I don't know. It's just like and. You know, here's the thing. I don't have a sweet tooth and I don't snack. Oh. So I feel like I don't have other bad habits. Yeah. But okay. I got I got a lot of those. Okay. Yeah. I I don't do the snacking. I don't eat desserts really or sweets or treats and you know, things like that. Um but yeah, I feel like I feel like they do add up calorically. And I feel like I'm at an age where I probably don't. Do you feel like it's harder to maintain your weight as you get older? Yes. Yeah, my wife's been having trouble with that. She never had to watch her weight for much of her life. And I never had to watch my weight, and then I feel like I turned 45. 45 was sort of like the witching age for me. And then, like, yeah. all of a sudden, I was just off doing my own thing, like, you know, living my life like I used to. And then all of a sudden, like, my pants are tight. She's in the same boat. She's 45. Yeah, it's the same boat. It sucks. I- for my yeah, for me, I've struggled with my weight my whole life. We could talk about that some other episode, but mm-hmm. for me, I, you know, that's just like one of the worst things for me. Alcohol just does not go. So it's sad. It's not one of those things I miss. Uh, I, I I drink it occasionally, but it's I definitely miss it along with maybe pizza and ice cream. More on that some other time. M-S-W-Media.